Um, we've been on this journey together as a church uh, in the book of Haggai, and, and we've just been loving what God's been teaching us together as a community. And, and this morning, I kind of wanted to do, as we come into land, as we finish this journey off together, I do want to do a little bit of a whistle-stop tour, mainly so we can anchor ourselves to something which is profoundly important as we look at these Old Testament prophetic writings that we, we remember and recognize these are not just words of a historical time given to a historical people, but as much as we can step into the, to the life and times of Israel and understand what God was doing with them in their season to speak to them in that moment, there's so much that we can take hold of, so much that we can glean as we understand that Haggai, who was speaking to Israel about this great rebuilding project that, that Israel was about to embark on, that we recognize we're in a season of great rebuilding. That actually there's a, a plan and purpose on every single one of our lives. There's an assignment on every follower of Jesus to go and rebuild and extend the kingdom of heaven wherever you are. Listen, if you follow Jesus this morning, that whether you show up in your family, with your kids, or in your workplace, or at the school gate, or in, in a hospital, in a, in a business, wherever it is that you show up, you bring the reality of the kingdom of heaven to that place, and you're part of a great rebuilding. You're part of, of writing a new story of hope across this city. You're part of writing a new story of joy into the lives of families and friends that you're connected to. And it's all about this great rebuilding. And we can take so much from the story of Israel and this moment in time when, when they had come out of their situation of captivity in Babylon. They'd been repositioned in Jerusalem. They'd been challenged and encouraged to start this rebuilding of the physical temple, which represented the presence of God with them as a nation to the rest of the nations around them. Listen, we can learn so much from their story. And so I do want to try and give a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. I know we've been in this for the last six or seven weeks, but as we land this in, in the last few verses of Haggai today, I do want to make sure that we've got everything that we can get out of it and we can go live different lives as we receive the challenge and charge of God on each one of our lives to go change the world together. Amen? All right, so this was four particular prophetic words, prophetic messages from Haggai about 2,600 years ago. And it was to encourage Zerubbabel, who was the governor, the leader at the time, uh, to Joshua, who was the high priest, and all the remnant of the people. Um, and the first message that, um, that got brought was really unpacking God's master plan. And it really, uh, and to help you with this, I've, I've got four Ps. Three Ps that we've got done already, and this fourth P, which we'll land on. But the four Ps of this, the first one is this. The first message that, that Haggai brought from God to Israel was a message of kingdom priority. So in the light of God's master plan to save Israel out of captivity, he was bringing them back to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, which was the place of God's presence. And Haggai's first message to Israel was, was, to, uh, was to encourage them, challenge them to stop getting distracted by building their own lives and start to place an emphasis and a focus on bring, building the, rebuilding the temple. The people of Israel got distracted. They'd come out of captivity and all of a sudden they had all this freedom to go establish their lives again, build their houses, families, work, all of that kind of stuff. And Haggai was coming in and saying, listen, you're leaving the priority number one, which is why you're in existence, which is to glorify God. You're leaving that, that um, priority and you're forsaking it. So now's the time to start to rebuild the temple. 
And it was a challenge for Israel to realize that they weren't just released from Israel to start to restore their own lives, but they were part of restoring God's kingdom on earth. That they were there to, to make the name of God, to make the presence of God known amongst all the nations. And that was what they needed to begin to start to give their yes to, what they needed to start to reorientate life towards. The second message that Haggai brought was pointing Israel forward to a kingdom perspective. So they had, a, they had a kingdom priority, and now they had a kingdom perspective. And Haggai had to bring this challenge from the Lord because seemingly Israel were getting stuck because they were remembering the times that in their history, the glory days of their history. And at some level, they, they didn't believe that their future could be any better than their history. And they started to begin to get stuck, and they started to procrastinate on, on this great rebuilding of the temple because they just figured it's never going to be as good as it was. And in this journey, they just began to get stuck. And so Haggai brings this word, this challenge. Listen, you need a perspective that actually the future glory of, of what you are building is bigger, better, and actually vitally important. It's far bigger than, than the latter house. And so we, Sarah dived into that. And then the final um, P, which um, Sarah brought um, last, a couple of weeks ago, was looking at kingdom purity. So they had a kingdom priority, they were brought a kingdom perspective, and now they were being called into a kingdom purity. This way in which, as God's people, that they were to live fully consecrated, which simply just means they were to give themselves fully to what God was asking them to do. And this, again, was a challenge for them in, in the midst of them just getting on with life, getting on with rebuilding their own lives, their own um, families, all of that stuff. God was bringing a word that says, listen, you must be consecrated. You must be entirely focused, entirely given over to, the, to my kingdom and my cause on the earth. And this is, what, this is what needed to be that recalibration of Israel's vision for their lives, for them as individuals and them corporately. Now the impact of these three words to Israel, that, that as, we, as we read them, as we open up the scripture, they resonate to us because we, we know that we're not now building a physical temple, but as we fast forward all of that context of Israel and we bring it into our day and our time and look at, well, how does that speak to me here in Manchester? How does this speak to me? We know that, that these words resonate to us because we are in a continuing process of a great rebuilding. I said it a few minutes ago, we're in this beautiful story that God's writing on the earth where he's entrusted the rebuilding of his kingdom, that joy would be made known on the earth because we would show up with joy, that hope would be seen and manifest in our lives and in our workplace and our families because we show up and we rebuild it. That actually that there's a rebuilding which fundamentally is this, we take everything of, of what we find in the kingdom of heaven and we make it known, we make it real here on earth. This is the great rebuilding that we're now a part of, that we get to see not just the rebuilding and restorations of a wall of a temple, but we get to see the restoration and rebuilding of lives, of our communities, of our friends, of our family, of our workplaces. We get to see the restoration of lives and of culture and of community. That's the rebuilding that we're all a part of. And so as we, as we land this whole series, we're, we're going to look at the final P, and that is um, that there is a kingdom promise. So as we take Haggai and we let it speak to us, we know that as a kingdom priority, we know that we're called as ones rescued by Jesus to restore and rebuild the lives of culture and people around us. 
That's what we know. We know that that is a kingdom priority. We know that, that our kingdom perspective now, now is one that is defined by grace and mercy and defined by the reality of what Jesus did for each one of us. And it changes the way that we look at, at life and what we're building and what we're giving our time and our energy and our lives to. We know that, that actually that, that for us, these words in Haggai, they speak to us that, that actually that in the same way that, that, that Israel needed to, to walk in kingdom purity, that, that they should be fully consecrated. That's the same call and same challenge to us. And finally, there is this kingdom promise that we're going to dive into in these few verses together. So this final, final message that Haggai is, is bringing to Israel I want it to speak to us. It's a different kind of message than, than the three we've heard already. The three we've already heard already, they were speaking to a whole nation. They were national words that arrested the hearts of a group of people and changed the trajectory of a nation. And now there's something different happening in this word. It's, a, it's God's word for an individual. And we're going to find out why that is so significant in a few moments. It's a personal message. And that becomes very important. I want to give a little sort of I want to kind of open up what I think God wants to teach us through these verses, even before we read it. Here's where I want to start, and here's where I want to land. This is it. God, who is the promise maker, is the promise keeper. That's what we're going to find in these verses, that, that through this whole journey of God and his people, as we pull that into our lives and we recognize that we live in, the, in, the, in Manchester, we're walking the face of the earth as God's people, that the same promises that God made for them and made for Israel, he is going to keep them in and through our lives. That God is a promise maker, but importantly, he is a promise keeper. Let's look at these verses together. Haggai 2. 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, what I'm gonna sh- uh, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'll overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I'll overthrow chariots and, dri- and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, declares the Lord, and I'll make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. So there's an important context to to these few verses that that we kind of need to dive into to understand what on earth is this saying to us. It's a a specific word, not just even to a specific nation at a specific time. It's a specific word for a specific individual. And that individual represents something, something very important. Now Zerubbabel, as we've kind of discovered over the last few weeks, he's, he's a leader and as um, he's the governor of Judah, and so as, as the people of Israel have come back out of captivity in Babylon, Zerubbabel is their leader. He's their governor. Now, he can't be king because Persia rules that area. He can't be king, but he does carry a leadership position. He carries that leadership position because actually he really is a king. He actually, he carries, he is, carries the, the line of, of, the, of the kings of Israel. But he can't be king because Persia rule and govern that area. But he's been given this position. Now you have to understand something about Zerubbabel. If you think about the, the story of Israel, he's experienced and, and known in his lifetime great um, 
a great time of challenge, great time of devastation, destruction, opposition, disappointment. He's been around Israel for, for all of this season of time. But if there was anyone in the whole of Israel who was going to feel the full force of that disappointment and devastation in, in, through all of that history, it was going to be Zerubbabel. See, what, the, what had happened was 60 years prior to this moment when Zerubbabel is, is probably hearing this word as an individual looking out over the devastation of the temple and looking out the, the devastation of the nation of Israel, 60 years prior to that, when, um, when the Babylonians had come and they'd conquered Israel and they'd taken Israel into captivity, at the point when that happened, Zerubbabel's grandfather was king of Israel. And Zerubbabel would have known his family history, he would have known his family line right the way back to the very glory days of the King, King David. And now Zerubbabel was back in Jerusalem, he's looking out over the devastation, he's looking out at a ruined temple, but he's acutely aware of the rich history which his lineage, his line, his, really, his leadership should have been a part of. And yet he's looking at a severing of that lineage. He's looking at, looking at his life simply as a, a leader, as a governor, when really actually in his DNA, he's a king. And so there's a, there's a, there's a sense where we can step into his shoes and realize, oh, here's a guy who is, who is feeling the pain and the, and the tension of, of a history that has been marked by devastation and destru- destruction. And he's looking out at his future and he's looking out at Israel's future and he's trying to figure out Oh my goodness, where do I now stand in this whole messy story? It had such glory days when I think of the, of, of the lines of the kings that came from his line. But when he looked at his life, when he looked at his reign, there was no reign. He was just a governor. He would have felt pain, anguish because of the destruction that had happened. All that rich promise. And he looks at his life and his leadership and it's marked by total devastation. It's interesting, even, even his name, Zerubbabel, it literally it means seed or offspring of Babylon. So literally everywhere he went, even his name spoke not of a, of a royal lineage, it spoke of a time of, of complete devastation for Israel. His, his literal name was a constant reminder of the devastation of Israel. And he probably feels that that disappointment more than anyone else in Israel. He's probably thinking to himself, what has come of my family line? What has come of any of this that I look in front of me? You know, he's probably thinking to himself, how, how can anything of any significance come from my family line anymore? What is the future of my nation? What is the future of, of, of my, the lineage of, of, of me as a king? And now he stands probably even in the ashes and the rubble of the broken, fallen, destructed temple and he's contemplating all this stuff. And as he's contemplating all of this stuff, a beautiful word comes from God through Haggai. And that word essentially says, Zerubbabel, God's not done with you. Zerubbabel, God's not done with your family line." He's not done with the lineage of your life. And there's something really important that we have to understand about that lineage because it's far greater than just one man saying, I want something significant to come from my life. It actually, it connects itself to a much bigger story. It connects itself to a much bigger promise. 
And you find that promise in, in 2 Samuel 7. You don't have to turn there, and for time I'll, I'll run through it. But where, we, where it finds its anchor, this whole story finds its beginning in, in a Davidic covenant, a Davidic promise. And that was this, that, that God had promised to David that in the line of David, in, in his future, in his, in, in, in his family line, God would bring about a king whose kingdom would rule forever. Right? So this was the promise that he was holding on to, this Davidic covenant, this Davidic promise. And if you were a Jew around these times, you would have heard and known of this promise that God made with David. And you would have looked, you've been looking eagerly. Okay, so, all right, Solomon's king now. Is he the one? Is this the king that is going to establish God's kingdom on the earth forever? Is it Solomon? No, it's not Solomon. Is it his, is it his son? Is, could it be his son? No, it's not his son. Is it the next son? Is it the next son? And this anticipation is building because it's connected to a promise that God gave to David. That in the line of David, in the family of David, God would, God would give and, and, and establish a king whose kingdom would last forever. And then you hit Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jehokin, and, and this wicked king, and as a result of him turning away from God, as a result of his great a result of his grandfather and his wickedness, God had turned his back on Israel, and Israel was forced into captivity. And it's almost as, as if he can look in the near distant past to his own ancestry and say, Oh my goodness, this Davidic promise, this promise that God gave us, has that come to nothing? Have I been a part of, of the, the severing of that promise? And God called this whole thing out. If you actually read in Jeremiah, who was a, a prophet who came earlier, Jeremiah 22, um, 24 to 25 says this, and listen to one of the key concepts in, in, this, in these verses. It says, And surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoachin, son of Jehoachim, son of Judah, were, were a signet ring on my right hand, I'd still rip you off. And then he goes on to say that he would deliver them into the, um, to the rule of the Babylonians. So he's saying that even in, in this image of a signet ring was so significant because it, it meant the authority of a king. And at the point where Zerubbabel's grandfather had gone his own way, had brought destruction to, to, um, to Israel, had caused them to be taken into captivity. God even said and spoke to a word to that king and said, if, you're, if we're talking about your signet ring, that sign of authority, I'm going to rip that off you. And now here's Zerubbabel with no real authority other than just governing in the area. He's looking at devastation, destruction. And if you're a young Zerubbabel, you're wondering... What's, what's happened? All this devastation, and yet God's promise to David, is it in jeopardy? Is it broken? Will there be a messianic king who will come and rule forever? So you're wondering, you know, are you done with my family line? That's where Zerubbabel standing there. He's wondering, are you done with my family line? And then this beautiful, beautiful promise comes again to Zerubbabel. And it's a promise of a king that will come and rule forever, defeating all that holds itself up against God. It's the promise of Jesus. I don't have time to dive into it, but the reality of this prophetic uh, voice, this prophetic word from Haggai, is a, is a picture of the promise of Jesus. 
And he's coming and he's saying to Zerubbabel, I'm not done with your line. I want to reconnect you, Zerubbabel, with your family history. And more than that, I want to connect you with your family promise. And that's exactly what happened. Several generations ahead, we have Jesus from David, King David, all the way through, through the kings, through the devastation of Zerubbabel's grandfather into Zerubbabel's life. And then this word comes. Ten generations on from Zerubbabel, we have King Jesus. A little king born in Bethlehem. His name's Jesus and he becomes King of kings, Lord of lords, and he establishes a kingdom that will last forever. That's what these verses are talking about. And in this moment, a moment when Zerubbabel was, is dis- disconnected to any hope, God comes and he brings a word that brings strength to him, that brings hope to him, that reconnects him and realigns him and reconfigures him with this great promise that was given to his ancestors. And what's interesting with Zerubbabel is that there's a list in Matthew of those, actually, those people who were present at the dedication of the temple. We know that Zerubbabel was part of the rebuilding of the temple. We know he got to the point of completing the temple. But actually, Zerubbabel died somewhere in between the temple being built and the temple being consecrated. So, so the amazing thing is, is, that, is that Zerubbabel lived those last few years of his life as he, as he committed to leading over Israel as they rebuilt the temple. And, and he didn't even see the consecration of the temple, but he lived in hope because God reconnected him with a word. Because the reality was is that the promise maker is the promise fulfiller. And that's, what, that's, where, that's where Zerubbabel found himself. And that's why I love these words. Because what does that speak to us? How does that speak to us? Is a word for an individual king 2,600 years ago. How does that speak to us? Well, I think about it like this. I ask the question, what, what do we do when we feel like we're not ruling in life? You know, that was the reality for, for Zerubbabel. He was looking and he, he knew a reality of a promise, but he was looking at devastation. And he was looking at a life that was far from that promise. What do we do when we feel like we're not ruling in life? Well, I want to say that we find the word of the one who rules in our life. That we would reconnect with, a, with not just the overarching promises of God over each one of our lives, but the specific, individual, life-giving promise of word that God has spoken over your life. He's spoken over your life, that he's spoken over my life. And I would live from that place of hope that says, no matter what my circumstances, I might be looking at rubble. I might be looking at a situation that is as far from that promise as it could possibly be. But actually, I am staying connected to a God who doesn't just, who doesn't just give promises, he fulfills promises. And the beauty and courage that comes as we look at the whole narrative of Israel and Zerubbabel and kings ending up in the line of Zerubbabel into the life of Jesus and all that Jesus did. We know, oh my goodness, at at a point when Zerubbabel had no idea what would come 10 generations on, God still spoke a word that, that connected him with the hope for that future. God spoke into a point of devastation and reintroduced Zerubbabel to hope. And there's a promise of God in each one of our stories. 
And again, it's not just the, it's not just the overarching promises of God. I encourage you, dive into his word, dive into the Bible, you'll discover a rich menu of promises that God gives to you that you can build your life on. Even on top of that, the specific words that you're carrying, that you're stewarding, the promises of God are in each one of our stories. I love this story because with them, um, uh, you know, as much as you look at what Israel had to do in terms of rebuilding, there was much that God did as well. There was, there was our part, there was Israel's part, but then there was, there was his part, there was God's part. And the big promise in all of this is look at what God will do. Like, look at what God will do. Notice how many times God says, I, in those few verses to Zerubbabel. He says, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn. I will overthrow. I will take you. I have chosen you. Listen, on the, on the part of God, there, the, he is not just a promise giver. He's not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And there's a whole weight and authority and power that comes behind his promises. And it causes us to hold on to hope, even when we're acutely aware that we're as far from perhaps the promises that we know God's given us, even when we feel they're at a distance, even when they, we feel like they're in rubble around us, we can still reconnect, realign, believe and have hope. I love the other thing that these verses encourage us with, and and that is in this whole area of chosenness. That ultimately our chosenness defines our confidence. There was something that, that Zerubbabel needed to hear. And it was, it was connected to his lineage as a king. It was connected to the physical reality of a signet ring, which he didn't physically have on. But God spoke to him and spoke to him about his chosenness. And so in the midst of an overarching promise, which he thought was devastated and destructed, he heard, he heard the word of God, which was that you're chosen. And that brings great confidence. I love the fact that we can look towards our future with great confidence, not because we know that we have it all together, but we know that we're chosen. This is what Romans 8.33 says. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You can imagine people kind of even whispering about Zerubbabel. Thinking, you know, that's supposed to be the king. Remember his grandfather? Remember those promises? Look at him now. He's standing in rubble. Look at the rubble. He's got nothing going on for him. And yet it didn't matter what those would have said about Zerubbabel. The only voice that mattered was the voice of God that said he was chosen. That there was an authority that came to his life. And it's the same for us. There's, there's an authority that comes to our life as we live out God's destiny and purpose and promises. There's a, an authority that comes not because of our ingenuity or our strength or our tactics. It comes simply because we're chosen. Because there's an assignment on our lives given to us by a God who knows us intimately and loves us. Listen, this, this is a very simple message at, at, at heart, and that is that a God who is the promise maker is the promise keeper. We can, we can take and glean great strength from the story of Israel, and we can, we can allow it to resonate in our hearts and lives as we look towards our future. And listen, I know that there are folks in this room that have, are holding on to promises that God's given you. I love even hearing from Gilebe this morning, that, that year in his own life where there were promises, dreams, words, confirmations, and then he finds himself in a job he hates. 
And yet in the midst of that season, there's still a moving forward in confidence because there's an assurance that comes. There's a confidence that we can glean from the goodness and the character and the nature of God, which, which litters our history. That we can say, if God could come through for Zerubbabel, if he could reconnect Zerubbabel in that moment with a broken lineage, a broken promise, but actually reconnect him with a living promise, a living word, what's so for me? What's so for me? God, who is a promise maker, is a promise keeper. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. In a moment or two, the, uh, the guys who are here from, on the Bethel team are going to just come and, and share some words of encouragement, things that they feel like the Lord's been giving and sharing with them. It'd be specific to individuals, maybe even to us here corporately, but we just want to give some time over for that in a few minutes. Um, so you may be a few minutes picking up your kids, um, but that's absolutely fine, or you can go grab your kids and come and bring them back in. But I just wanted to, as we close out this series... I want, us to, I want us to take everything that we can from this beautiful book of Haggai and let it shape our lives, let it stir us, provoke us, challenge us, change us. Let us be people who walk out differently than the way that we came in this morning. So if that's you and you know you want to live in, in the light of a, a good God who's, who, who's faithful to his word, then I just let's pray together. Father, I, I do thank you for your word, that it, it becomes a continual light into our path. That actually you're illuminating so much to us, not, not simply just in a historical context, but in a living, breathing word that shapes and molds our lives. So this morning, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings great courage to us to know that we are yours, that you've chosen us. Thank you, God, for that reality. But for those this morning that would look at their lives and, and maybe think that, you know, there are promises that they have been carrying, maybe even for many years, maybe around their family, maybe around their job, maybe over things that they dreamed about, even as, even as young men and women, that almost seems like there are, that promise is at arm's length. God, would you come and would you remind them that this morning you're not just a promise maker, you're a promise keeper. You've shown it, that you have shown your consistency and faithfulness to your word. So Father, would you, um, would you breathe hope in our hearts this morning? Father, for things that we've maybe contended for for years, things that we almost thought had slipped away, God, would you allow those things again to begin to bubble up with hope? Renew our strength, renew our hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.